If you want to support the Missing Witches Project, find out how at missingwitches.com or order our new book, New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools of Resistance and Reenchantment. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. In the lead-up to an all-new season of the Missing Witches podcast and the release of our new book, New Moon Magic, we're sharing with you, our coven, our listeners, snippets from the audiobook version of New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment, by Risa Dickens and Amy Torek. Enjoy. New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment, by Risa Dickens and Amy Torek. Narrated by the authors. Published by North Atlantic Books. Chapter 8. New Moon in Scorpio. The Circle. This circle is led by Amy, with expansions by Risa. Quote, The new moon in Scorpio is allowing part of yourself to die. Death is in our wealth and the rebirth centers our power in this world. End quote. Monifa Walker, astrologer. My first circle was around the kitchen table at my great Aunt B's house, and it took the form of a near decade-long Euchre tournament. Euchre is a card game with four players, two teams of two. Witchily, you and your partner score points, treats, by winning tricks. So around this table, with my mother... Aunt B, and a fourth, sometimes my grandmother, sometimes Aunt Dorothy or Aunt Janet, I learned to play euchre and so much more. Over the shuffling deck, I picked up family history, family jokes, and my Aunt B's words of wisdom about the game. As I matured, I discovered that these lessons were always translatable, transferable to every aspect of my daily life. I learned that fate deals your hand, but how you play the game is up to you. Scorpio is an idealist, so let's take that energy and use it to imagine a functional, balanced, and harmonious society. Then, let's make those spaces real. In Euchre, you can score zero, one, two, or four points per round. If I was disappointed to only get one, Aunt B would say, one at a time's good fishing. I now understand this outside the game as her advice to appreciate small steps, not to be impatient, to catch and appreciate fish one at a time. If I was staring at my hand too long, agonizing over which card to play, she'd say, play one, look at the rest. Outside the game, this became a motto. If I have several things I'm mulling over, I take action on one and mull over the rest. I can get stuck in my head, so I try to make sure I don't miss my turn, because I'm not able to choose which card to play. Aunt B had a million idioms, and I absorbed them through my skin like the steam rising from a bowl of Campbell's soup. When I want to stop complaining and do something, I tell myself in Aunt B's voice, better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. To this day, I understand concepts best when they are presented in metaphor, or better yet, in rhyme, turn down a bower, lose for an hour. Don't squander opportunities that arise. 
Once, after a particularly trumpetous fart, she proclaimed, better to bear the shame than to bear the pain. It's better to be honest than perfect. We may feel judged for the metaphorical stench of our truth, but to hold it in cramps our whole system. And this is the aim of the circle, to create a place to safely release gas without having to bear the shame of not living up to society's toxic and impossible standards. In circle, we do not cause ourselves pain by holding it in. We don't judge others for releasing. Telling the truth is a spell. Aunt B died when I was 16, but she lived on as my friends and I invoked her name in our own circles, around our own card games. We played euchre and cribbage, rummy and canasta, but all of these games were just an excuse to sit in a circle and chat. In the TV show The Golden Girls, and if you're a fanatic like me, you might be thinking this already, Dorothy and her mother Sophia had their best talks over a game of gin. As a group, the Golden Girls encircled the kitchen table to eat cheesecake and talk through their joys and sorrows each bringing their differing personal perspectives to conjure celebration, commiseration, and, more often than not, solutions to their problems. When Sophia instructs us to picture it, she is invoking the knowledge that, as psychologist Pamela Rutledge wrote, quote, stories are how we think. They are how we make meaning of life. Call them schemas, scripts, Cognitive maps, mental models, metaphors, or narratives, stories are how we explain how things work, how we make decisions, how we justify our decisions, how we persuade others, how we understand our place in the world, create our identities, and define and teach social values. End quote. A circle doesn't require a card game or even a cheesecake. Nor does it require goddesses chanting, bonfires, calling the corners, or drawing down the moon, though these things can certainly heighten the atmosphere. A circle is any place, in any form, wherein witches, women, and or other marginalized people gather to safely exist, to listen, and to be seen, hear stories, tell stories, share our gifts and burdens bear witness to trauma and steal its power, bear witness to joy and watch it multiply. A circle can be a quilting bee or sewing circle, a book club or group therapy. A circle can be a grid on a laptop screen of loving faces in various states of pixelation, like our coven's new moon zooms. Totally healing and delightful. A Sunday brunch with your pals at which you piece together the hazy adventures of the previous night can be a circle. And this circle is perhaps witch's most powerful tool. It doesn't have to be framed as magical because it is inherently magical. It's how we change the world, bit by bit, together. It is gathering in honesty, vulnerability, cooperation and collaboration the halving of problems and the doubling of dreams, the solving of some mysteries and the discovery of others, a perpetual motion machine in which we both produce and absorb energy, an infinite urborus, a ring of power and protection, 
a warm embrace, arms looped around and around each other. We, both as missing witches and in our personal lives, have held several circles, some with close friends to celebrate or mourn or to conjure prosperity, others with groups of strangers to venerate our ancestors or gather perspectives, seeking clarity on a certain issue or theme. Though they take many forms, the only integral quality of circles is that when we enter, we release judgment. Scorpio energy may feel controlling, but we can channel that drive into controlling our narrative, willfully leaving our egos outside. The fear that others will judge or rank us is so powerful, it is often paralyzing. The circle allows us to slowly stretch out of our atrophied mindsets. The compulsion to judge and rank others is so powerful that it must be constantly, consciously resisted. The circle is that resistance. As author Judy Grain told me, quote, our bonding is what makes a revolution happen, end quote. A circle is a training ground where we are free to brag and boast, knowing that our self-praise will elicit encouragement and agreement rather than a competitive glare or dismissive one-upmanship. In circle, we are free to weep and grieve without worrying will come off as weak. In circle, we are free to rage, to vent our anger without being labeled bitch. In circle, we are free to express our needs and desires, knowing the circle won't paint us as needy or desperate. In circle, there is room for disagreement, correction. It's how we learn to question our self-perception and worldview. When I inevitably made rookie mistakes at the euchre table, Aunt B would explain what I'd done and what made it a bad move. I was allowed to make mistakes because the score didn't really matter. I honed my strategy with loving guidance. But I also knew that Aunt Dorothy never wanted to be my partner. For her, the score mattered. Keep this in mind as you form your own circles. For many, compassion is blocked by a sense of competition. It takes practice to stop keeping score. It takes practice to recognize that it's not up to us to determine the value of other people's choices or worse, the things about themselves they can't control. It takes practice not only to speak but also to be silent, neither avoid nor solve, but simply bear witness. I remember silently holding my grandmother's hand at my grandfather's funeral, staring at my feet as they dangled from the pew. The attendees lined up to deliver their brief condolences and platitudes and one by one shuffled off. She squeezed my hand. I'm glad you're here, she whispered. Everyone else keeps running away. I keep those words and remembered them years later when a friend's mother died in high school. We all gathered for the funeral, but my friend was standing alone. No one was talking to him because no one knew what to say. And no one wanted to say the wrong thing, so they said nothing. I felt my grandmother squeeze my hand as I walked over to my friend. I made a stupid joke. He laughed, and the whole room exhaled. 
That exhale is the circle, and what the circle conjures, a collective sigh of relief that is also a howl, a giggle, a roar, and a moan. Most people do not have a place they can call circle, and to be honest, many wouldn't want it. The idea of admitting to personal vulnerability, ignorance, difference, need, or desire is abhorrent. To remove the mask is unthinkable, akin to the nightmare of showing up for school stark naked. Hot take, these people are not witches. As witches, we must accept that being afraid is no excuse to avoid the darkness. It's natural, and in some cases healthy, to be afraid, but we witches do not allow this fear to control our lives. The more afraid we are to share some part of ourselves with trusted others, the more likely it is that this is a truth that must be told. The less afraid we are to admit when we don't know, the more we can discover. And witches live their lives learning to get comfortable with the great unknown. We cannot be blackmailed because we have no shame. With the help of Silvia Federici, we can connect fear and competition to our witch history and destabilize them. She wrote, quote, Witch hunting in all its different forms is also a powerful means to destroy communal relations, injecting the suspicion that underneath the neighbor, the friend, the lover, hides another person lusting for power, sex, wealth, or simply wanting to commit evil deeds, end quote. It isn't easy to craft trusting relationships in this suspicious world under these contentious conditions, is it? These circular spaces are hard to find. And that's why we witches must do what witches do. If we can't or don't find what we're looking for, we make it ourselves. Iconoclasts, ancient and ahead of our time, witches are icebreakers, and our diving in gives others permission to jump in and feel the waters for themselves. We conjure the world we want to see and invite others to join us in the vision. We start shit. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. If you want to support the Missing Witches Project, find out how at missingwitches.com or order our new book, New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools of Resistance and Reenchantment.